0: My name's What's Knight. So I've been DJing around the world for a number of years now, I grew up in Australia, I toured at one point there for about seven years straight without actually living in a home, I'm an avid ocean boy, surf uh, some monster waves at times, and generally try and create things that have a positive impact on the world. Lift.
1: Welcome to the next episode of Introducing. My name's Tim Blackwell. Um, hope you're well. Um, how'd you go with the Teen Jesus and the Gene Teasers? Do you with Do you, you with me? Are you with me? <laughs> do, you, do you think it's one of the coolest names in music at the moment? I, I love those guys. Uh, please make sure you go and check them out live when they come to a town near you, which I'm sure will be very soon. Uh, now let's get on to this. I have been fangin', frothing, chomping at the bit to speak to Chris, otherwise known as What So Not. For some time now, he's worked with uh, many of the introducing podcast alumni. Before TK Mides, speaking Duck Boys, obviously Dmas more recently. We're going to talk to him about starting So not. I mean, it kicked off with uh, a little project he started with Flume in 2010, uh, until Flume went uh, his own way in 2015, and now Chris here is solo, very close to at least um, releasing his next album Anomaly it comes out September 16 if you're listening to this after September 16 well guess what it's out now check it out um, some great collabs on it there's Oliver Tree there's the DNA you just mentioned them a great song messing me up with Evan Gia uh, and more please have a listen to this it's a huge album we talk um a lot about uh, well, many different things in this chat Chris talks to me about big wave surfing and facing his mortality head on yeah I know we get deep As well as missing an email from Halsey. I mean, what are you going to do? can't read all your emails, can you? Uh, Sit back and enjoy this chat with Chris. It's what's so not. And please make sure you just do whatever you can to get your hands on the album Anomaly when it comes out. It's a banger. Let's kick off with the fact that you're an ocean boy because my mate knew I was speaking to you today. Um, he was very pumped and he sent me this video of you. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty, but of you on a monster wave. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about why you're such an ocean boy and how, how you're not scared shitless in scenes like this.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Look at that. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I know the one you're showing. Well, I didn't start there. I got there. Um, I was actually very timid as a child and quite frightened of the ocean. I remember when I was eight years old, um, I used to surf on a surfboard and when I was eight, my dad took me out into some conditions that were probably a little bit much for me at the time. And he was a little overexcited and went away to a different area of the beach and left me. And then I ended up getting washed into the headland and that was, uh, a little bit scarring. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I eventually got the, the courage to go back in the ocean, probably only a few, probably it was sort of like four or five years before I was really like, okay, I like the ocean again. Um, and, and yeah, I, I grew up uh, bodyboarding around Sydney and I was like, okay at it, but I loved it, probably loved it more than anything. Yeah. And then uh, I, I found myself through my travels in music Um, actually on the North shore of Hawaii where they have the famous pipeline. And at that point, my life had just become so manic and, you know, jumping in and out of hotels and airport transfers and airplanes. And and my body was a wreck. My head was a wreck. And I was there like with probably one of the most important and biggest opportunities you ever have as a surfer. I'm there at the pinnacle of surfing pipeline on the shore. And I didn't go out because I was like, I think I might really hurt myself if I go out there and I'm not ready. And I never want to have that happen again. So. That was that was the changing point in my life where I decided I was always going to be ready, and that's what brought me to uh, that that wave video that you were oh, just saying wow, cool. before from. Shipstones in
1: Tasmania. <laughs> because see, I, I um I surf a male, like I got a nine foot mal and I'm really bad at it. And I, I kind of learned to surf in Ocean Grove in Victoria, which was kind of like you could stand up on your board and just make breakfast on that board. Like you were just like you could just stand up there for hours and it was great. And then a mate of mine took me to Bells Beach, you know, the famous Bells Beach. It's in point break the whole lot. And we're paddling out and I'm just chatting the whole way. And then I realized we're so far out that the only way back in is to ride one of those things. And um I got yeah, you're allowed to speak to someone. I can cut this out if you need to talk to someone.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's only a story me. about me. <laughs> He's saying you can bring it in. It's my yeah. dinner. I've had dinner prepared for me. I never thought. Thank you. Oh my god. Oh, what is fantastic? You got? Let's let's go oh, through look, that. Look. <laughs> I'll show you. It's um, oh, wow. it's some grilled salmon. Yeah. I think it's even uh, 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 you know, they do that burnt miso, and then there's yeah. um, some Japanese mayo on the side and some salad. Very exciting. Actually. Where are you right now? I
1: should start with that. Where are I, where am I speaking to you
0: from? I'm in Los Angeles.
1: Okay, is this your house, your um, home?
0: Well, sort of. it's <laughs> or is that time. a very complicated it's question? First, <laughs> it's the first time I've rented anywhere. It's the first time I've rented anywhere in about four nine years. Yeah, because it was just. Moving, 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 which was, it was chaos, but it was great, uh, exciting. It's just a very different form of life. You learn to become quite a minimalist. I literally just have my backpack. And everything that I needed to create had to fit into that backpack. And those had some clothes in you know, a carry on and then uh, a bigger suitcase that I would occasionally leave in a city or a state and then go get it another time and so forth and keep moving.
1: Because what, yeah, what is your equipment? So is it really just backpack stuff? Like are you, are you lugging keyboards around or anything like that? Or is it all in a tidy little ziplock, little crumpler thing?
0: <laughs> I, I have like everything is the perfect size and the smallest version of that type of thing that you can get for everything. So I have like, I have like um, things that are really important. A really dense sort of rubber pad for my wrists. because yeah. I actually got RSI in my um, oh, my yeah. right wrist from using the uh, it's leaning on the edge of the laptop. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you know, for sixteen hours a day, for three hundred and sixty-five <laughs> days a year. And people say um, being an
1: electronic musician is not dangerous. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> there, are, there are risks yeah. with everything.
0: Oh my god! I actually I sprained my spine from bad ergonomics in my studio.
1: Oh really? So what yeah. Do, what, 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 yeah, what chair I'm, would you recommend to the world now? If you if anyone's listening to get themselves a good chair, Have you got if you got a brand of chair that you love.
0: Uh, <laughs> look, I've heard a lot of different things off a lot of different specialists, yes. but generally, generally it's about getting up every hour and doing something else for five minutes, which also is extremely practical for your creative flow so you should do that anyway. It can be as simple as going get a glass of water yeah, uh, and maybe like listening to a song yeah. or having a quick phone call with someone or whatever it may be so you're still being super productive. But yeah, getting up is really important, well, having want- a little stretch, getting blood flowing.
1: What do you do then if you're out and about maybe having lunch with a mate or you're at the beach and you've just got to, out of the surf and you do have an idea? With, with the kind of music that you make, like like I'm assuming you don't commit yeah. that to a notepad. Like, well, how how do you make sure that you can remember that idea when you get back home?
0: One of the saviors, with technology, has been the voice memo. I voice memo everything constantly. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll be walking past something, i will like, grab that, yeah, that's mine now. <laughs> or I'll I'll have a like I'll have an idea in the surf and I will just hum it and hum it and develop it and grow it and do all the harmonies constantly. And like someone trying to talk to me, like, nah, nah, nah. Hang on, I've got I'm on a roll here, and I'm like building the whole song good in my brain, and then I get in and I just deliver all the different parts into the voice memos, and then I go and deal with it maybe three months later. Oh, that's unreal. Yeah, so so it is old fashioned yeah.
1: voice memo because that's that's the Phineas Billy Eilish story when he was in Sydney walking down George Street and heard our ridiculous um, traffic lights go, burr, 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 and then that ended up being no way. bad guy. Yeah. That makes sense. He, taught, yeah, he talked I, about it on I, one of the, the talk shows over there. He goes, you had, "You're not going to believe it. These ridiculous traffic lights in, in Australia that make these stupid noises when it's time to walk." And he recorded. It's been sitting right in front of you forever, Chris. That could have been your song, mate.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I, like, um, I used to work with this girl who worked with Billy really early, and like, I went to like Billy's show when she was still just playing at um, the Fonda Theater, which is like this small theater here in LA. I remember at the time we had. We had the opportunity to do this remix for this girl Era Estreffi, who's really, really big over in Europe, and or Billie Eilish. And I was like, I've only got time to do one. About to do Coachella, like, just too much going on. And we chose Era Streffi, and she's amazing, and it's great. Yeah, um, would have been smart to maybe choose Billy. <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> I really had a conversation. I've had a few, a few big like, a, a few ones like that. There was another one like, like Halsey sent me this lovely like page long email about wanting to work with me when she heard something. Um, I think I of her exes was playing something of mine back in the day. And I'd met her very early in her career, um, at a show called snow globe over here in America. Mm. And I never saw the email. I was like, just the, the, my life was like, I, I, I didn't have like a spare five minutes for like years. Like I remember there was, there's a year and a half of my life and we clocked it and I wasn't in the city for more than four days for a year and a half like wow. just constantly going somewhere yeah it was, it was crazy well, well that's and I, a, and then, good like, thing you travel light then <laughs> exactly like i have back problems like i've got to i've got to be careful about what's on my what i'm what i'm coming around and i remember i, I saw i at coachella um just in the crowd she's like why didn't you write back to my email and i was like i don't know what you <laughs> what are you talking about like what she's like yeah and then i remember i read it like a few days later i was like oh, this is so like sweet and genuine. And she was probably really upset that I yes. seemingly ignored that. But I, I think I legit like just didn't even see it and like, yeah. couldn't even mentally process the page-long email at that point in my life anyway.
1: You, you need to start getting one of those Bill Murray voicemails where he just has a 1-800 number, doesn't have a manager, doesn't have an email. And if you want to get in touch, you just leave a message, a voice message that he just calls in and checks on from around the world every now and then.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have really good people around me now. Which- yeah make sure stuff like, yeah. stuff like that for the most part doesn't happen anymore but oh, you know it's just yeah. when things first take off and you are just kind of this solo unit like oh my god i have to do every single <laughs> thing and like it's just exploding it's too much i mean like um yeah it, it, it it's been a crazy ride um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that i've survived it
1: <laughs> no absolutely well at least then when you're interviewing for people to work for you the first job the first thing in the job description is do not miss emails from billy eilish and halsey ever again <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, now let's go back to the start because it is called introducing. I want to know, like, obviously, you're in the water at seven. When did you first pick up an instrument or realize that you potentially were musical? Was that always going to be um, your plan, or did you have another grand plan when you were a young youngster?
0: Oh man, this is this is going to be a funny ride for all this. Um, <laughs> so, I started playing drums when I was eight because my like second cousin in Canberra was the drummer in a band that was getting a, a few spins on some stations. And I got behind the kit and like looking back now, I immediately went orchestral with it. I was like doing little rolls and roughs and like creating sort of cinematic impact moments. I wasn't like playing a beat. And then I remember he was like, oh no, you got to like use your, your left and your right and play the hi-hat like this. And and that, that was my first uh, first moment of like, being told how to be creative yeah, um, and totally harmless and, you know, probably would have had more success if I had gone for Beep than I, I did for that to some degree. But um, my whole life was people saying, and people not even considering the arts like a thing, people not considering the arts and music a career or even like worth it. Yeah, it's like a little hobby. It's a hobby you do when you're a kid, and then you grow out of it.
1: Yeah, then you become a dog. And that, yeah, exactly.
0: And that, and that to me is just so backwards. Like it's so like where I am now in my life, and even where I was quite a few years ago in my life. I'm like, wow, people just have that so wrong. Like, you could be a musician making nothing, living out of a van, to be be happier like than so many people who are who are doing things that are considered the right way to do things. Mm. And um, I got advised out of being. Doing so many creative ventures my whole life, but I didn't. realize My whole life, I was trying to be a creative. But I wanted to be a creative. That's what I was drawn to, and everyone just kept advising, "Oh, don't do that. That's silly. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that." Um, I actually worked a desk job, nine to five desk job, straight like almost straight out of high school when I was eighteen until I was twenty three, and um, did music on the side again as a hobby. People weren't really considering that serious, yeah. um, and then something in my brain like they said to me, "Hey, mate, look, you got to give this music thing a rest. Like, we need you here more, more days a week and we need to take it more seriously. And and I was like, you know what? Something inside me is just, it's like, don't, you need to stop your whole life. You've been doing what everyone said was the path you had to take. You need to stop. You got to do this other thing. It makes absolutely no sense. And it was the scariest thing I'd ever done was like trading in the predictable life. And um, I'm so grateful I did that. I went over to South America just by chance, like a couple of weeks later, um, I had a girlfriend for a, a number of years and we just suddenly broke up like my whole life. upside down: was No job, no girlfriend overseas. Mm. And then I was, I, I realized over there, I was like, Oh my God, nothing I thought was important actually matters. All these, all these little things are just, they are, they're just little things that, that are so not important. And, um, I came back and I, started doing music full-time. I was making like 400 bucks a week. It was just enough to get by and then put out a few remixes that really took off and then, you know, suddenly I'm touring the world a year later.
1: So can you tell me what's the protocol with a remix? Like like, do you have to – well, actually, maybe that's just the question. You might know how to answer just for that. But for someone like me who I, I see a lot of remixes over here that are kind of unofficial and then a lot of official ones over here, are you allowed to make unofficial remixes of other people's work?
0: You like- can make, you can make whatever you want. It's how you commercialize it, and like, it's also to some degree how good it is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you make something that's technically illegal, <laughs> but it's great, yeah, yeah, then the artists that uh, are the original creators might be like hey, you need to stop doing it like this because that's ours, but we really like it and we want to um, make it official or we want to help you turn this into this or we want to put it on this label and get this happening.
1: Right. So what was what was your first moment where you made something illegal that was good?
0: <laughs> the first? This is this is great. Okay. I don't know if you remember back in the, like, is everyone familiar with blogs and what blogs were? Yeah, like, for sure. The whole wave of. Yeah, great. So, like, everyone just started bootlegging everything, pirating everything, putting it up for free. It was all these individual music connoisseurs, like. Wasn't there a word to talking that? It was a blog, really...
1: blog tech or something, or what was B-
0: bloghouse? Bloghouse blog was like sort of the sound of the era, but it yes. was just people, like everyday people, that had a, a bit of an ear for music, talking about the coolest, weirdest thing they found. And then there was this chart that's like it was like the Billboard of blogs called the Hype Machine, mm. and um. The first thing I ever made went to number one on Hype Machine and I was like, oh shit, I think I know what I'm doing here. Like (laughs) picked up this DJing thing pretty quick, picking up this production thing pretty quick. And then all I had to do was convert my, because that was a bootleg. It was a bit more of like a hybrid of other people's stuff with a few samples of my own. And I was like, all I need to do now is work out how to create the original components um, and build a sample library and understand synthesis So that these are all my ideas rather than borrowing too heavily from others. Right. Um, So I went about doing that and then that also worked. But it was from the start there, I was like, I have the ideas that I know work. I've seen it in action. And now I just need to go and be a student of this craft and really hone it until, uh, you know, it sort of took me to where I got to today.
1: So then um, how did What So Not come about? When, when did when did that moment kick off and and where you decided to collaborate and uh, and actually because I guess yeah. you're working on your own you've always been in your own head when did you decide to label something as a, as, a, as, a, um, as a as a as a band name does that make sense I hope I'm I'm making sense
0: yeah no totally it was like there wasn't a lot of people doing music like even DJing was like a new thing like people didn't DJ and I look looking back it's because of the technology so. Well, I I DJ. I DJed
1: real indie rock songs that required no mixing, so I just would play The Strokes into Arctic Monkeys into Interpol, and everyone got pissed. And then I went home, and I got my two hundred (laughs)
0: bucks. so if you like i remember right when i started djing it was just as mp3 and cdj djing started like djing cd so before yeah. that you had to be vinyl mm. and for vinyl you had to wait till it got shipped to australia yeah you had to spend probably 20 dollars to get the one song off the four track that you wanted mm. and like that's not affordable for kids so like kids didn't dj it was that simple like a kid doesn't have like 600 bucks to throw down on like Half a set, you know, yeah. let alone updating that. Yeah. Like, and then the equipment was so expensive. So, I first started DJing. I actually had like, um, like it was a DVD player and then this really bad mixer and then this really bad CDJ. And the CDJ gave me the functionality of like the push and the pull of getting the right tempos and all that. And then I just had to work out there was a, I think it was a 0.73 second delay when you hit play with and the song actually plays on the DVD. So, I started DJing like that. And, um, eventually earned enough money to like buy some proper gear and then started playing clubs. And then I, I hit this like ceiling where I was like, okay, I know how to do this DJing thing pretty well, but I can't get any bigger unless I make my own songs. So I started making my own songs. First thing I made went to number one of that chart. I was like, okay, cool. I think I've got this. This yeah. is going to be great. <laughs> and then, um, I worked with a few other people in the local area that, um, had been producing for a while and then really learned the craft of that a lot more, made what's so not, um, with Harley, we did that for a few years together, and then I took that solo a couple of years later, um, and then yeah, soon after that I was doing Coachella, Lollapalooza, Google Pop, um, went you know all around the world with it.
1: I saw you at Splendor in the Grass. I'm not sure if it was 2018 or 2019, and with Daniel Johns came up at the end, and you did Freak together. Um,
0: oh,
1: yes. And I did actually catch up with, I don't know him, but I, I did get to speak to him after at um, a party at Splendour. And he he said, I said, oh, that was a great set. And, you know, what a great track. And he goes, I feel like the kids didn't know the words. <laughs> I'm like, there was that moment where everyone was having a good time, but I'm going, hey, I'm a friend," And then I'm looking around going, oh, not everybody knows the words to this. I, I must be getting old. <laughs>
0: That was a, that was a really magic show. And you know how recluse Dan can be. I'm sure a lot of people know he doesn't really perform. And, um, it was so special. He actually came up to Splendor kind of just to hang out like his friends and like hang out with that crew and just have a laugh and have a good time. And him playing wasn't really a certain thing, but then, you know, one day in he's like, oh man, let's do this. We're on, it's going to be magic. And, um, I had this like remix that I'd done of freak that was we, we were calling it like the rebirth of, of Dan, like taking, coming back from the dead to perform and perform this classic in a whole new way. And like taking ownership of it, it was, it was so exciting and so cool. Um, and yeah, set, that was when I was doing my set with like a full band, I was playing drums and singing and I, um, Trev Lukather who was my guitarist, was absolutely amazing. Yeah, we were just having the time of our lives. So we we were ripping through Splendor. <laughs> yeah. Went to the tunnel party if, if you know what that is, like oh, that techno rave yes. that goes till yeah. five in the morning. Yeah. And then we were just like, oh yeah, let's go do this. Let's close out this mix out tent, guys. You know, <laughs> did a campground set. Like it was, it's just like it was like a big big vibe, big confident energy. And actually, the first time I ever went big wave surfing was two days after that, down in Tasmania, when we did a show just after Splendor. Oh, really?
1: Yeah right. So you were on that much high. You thought I can do this.
0: Oh, I was like I can do anything, and then I get out there, and I'm like, Ooh. What am I? I was like, and that was that was like, I don't think I would have done. I, I wouldn't have gone out there without being on such a, um, I don't want to say like a. It was such a natural high endorphin that I was on. And I just felt so in tune with everything, you know, creative, the universe, whatever it may be. Like I was just exactly where I was meant to be. And and then it was like nudging me like, all right, now i got to do this thing, all right? And it's going to be a bit scary. It's going to be a bit challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the craziest thing. I literally like they talk about how like spiritual this place is. It's like you get to this, this place down in Tasmania. It's like this amphitheater. And but there's not people in the embassy to watching you. It's nature's it's like watching you, like a like a judge of mm. like Caesar. Like, am I going to destroy you today <laughs> or let you live? You know. Oh wow! And um, just out there like the, I just remember one of the I, when I was like actual pro bodyboarders, um, Charles Ward and and Cohen Thomas. And um, I think Charles came kind up of was like, "You're right, mate. you a bit nervous." And I was like, "No, nah, I'm actually like." Really calm. And I was just so, like, no heart rate increase, no heavy breathing. And then, you know, a black wall just comes in. He's like, all right, you're up, mate. And I'm like, all right, just go. Wow. Just go. And it was just like that. Got, got three waves, called it a day just to be really precautious. But it was like, oh, yeah, three's a good number. That, the, that's
1: a good number. You're like, I, I, yeah. let's not push this.
0: <laughs> you, you, look at, you look at things in life, and like, for me, I think I, I stepped up a whole 50% of anything I'd ever done like that before. And that's very dangerous in, in a in a sport like that. Um, but something was telling me I had this like whole conversation with nature where it was like this philosophical debate and 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 Mother Earth was like, Are you going to respect me out here? And I was like, Yes, I am, but are you going to respect me? And then she replied, Yes, I am. And that's how I knew I was safe. Like it was it was insane. Yeah, I'm that's telling how like, I got I this it. whole I love it. experience out there. And uh and then I came through with it, and then you know, after a few years I actually got the confidence to really give it a good go out there. And then you've of course seen the the wipeout video is yeah. the consequence.
1: Well, if you have a better one, you want me to put up when we uh, put the podcast out, please send it through. But I do love that one. Now, look, I feel bad. Have a bite of your salmon while I ask you your next question because your dinner's getting cold. But um, I have, <laughs> I, have I have seen you've worked with a lot of people, like mates of mine, and that have been on this podcast too. Adam and Ruben from Peking Duck, the DMA's boys. I've had TK Mizer on the podcast as well. Um, any any standouts for you that um, as far as artists that you've worked with that. Well, that kind of surprised you. And then the next question is, do you have to change the way you work depending on who you work with or do you kind of just go with the flow a bit? It feels like there has to be a
0: bit of both. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think everybody surprises us. Sometimes you even – like I'm the sort of person over the years, I, I've i jumped in with – I might have jumped in with like a 100 different people, like a lot of different people. I do a lot of sessions. And, you know, sometimes you make some gold, sometimes it's like whatever, but you make a friend. And no matter who you work with, you always walk away with something. Someone always always says something really striking. Like if you're an artist, you've got, you've got something in you that's different and that's off kilter and that you're like running on a different line. And, of, you know, anyone I've ever worked with, they've always either had a process or an idea or a way of thinking about something it's like, wow, that's such a a light bulb moment for me. So I would honestly say everyone, even even if you do a session that you would subjectively say was a shit session, you made a <laughs> horrible track. Yeah. You probably still took something really great away from it. And I think um, in terms of collaborating with people, it's always about like feeling this, the, the way someone operates in their mind, the way their processes are creative and kind of like, Often, as the producer, you're sort of you're allowing them to be to be the best version of themselves, and working out to help them get there, support them to get there, excite them with things that you're doing and showing them. And um, yeah, it's it's such an exciting process. I really love it. It's my favorite thing about the job is jumping in with people and and um, heading in directions that you'd never considered, and then together, like brain tentacling in and creating something that none of you could have done solo well yeah even i know
1: speaking to the boys about it, uh the dma's boys it was a probably i think it was a bit of a, a jump for them too to be working with someone like you because that's taking their sound to another level obviously they respect you but it must have been a they must have had that sense of almost you down in tassie with the big wave like am, am i doing the right thing here am i going to survive this is this what my fans yeah. want to hear
0: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah well i worked with johnny yeah like i remember Mason showed me this demo he'd worked on and I was like, man, this is like outrageous. It was, it was like something the prodigy would do. Maybe maybe a little, like the mix was a bit messy, but he knew exactly how he wanted it to be and how he wanted to do it. And I think they've been working to finish that one. I'm so excited for that hmm. one to come out. And how yeah, they, out. they've got some weird, and Johnny like as well. ideas, those boys, yeah. Yeah, and Johnny was, um, he was showing me all his favorite acts. And all these favorite acts are all my favorite acts. And we're just like, oh, how I was like, well, why don't we make something like this? Because they're usually doing, you know, the guitar and drum sort of stuff mainly. And I was like, well, we'll just get some breaks and we'll get some Reese's. And we'll like, and that's Reese, not the food. That's the, the synth tone, the tune <laughs> yeah, yeah. saw wave bass thing, growly sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just went ham and made this magic. Tommy jumped in and um, did, the- did the vocal. And it-, it was a magic little hybrid, I think, of our two worlds.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about the uh, the new album because I, I, I'm conscious of time and also your dinner getting cold. For some reason, I'm more into your dinner than you are. Um, it, it comes out Friday week, September 16th. So we'll, we'll, this podcast will be out just before that. What, Firstly, before we talk about uh, Anomaly, what are you going to be doing on the day? Are you got any grand plans? Are you a little listening party?
0: Mate, true, <laughs> true me style, I'm going to be on a plane. Perfect. <laughs> on release really day, I'm on a, I'm on a fucking long haul. That's it. Um, Good. But I'm doing. I'm, I haven't told anyone this yet, but we're going to do a little party in LA, and then I've got a fly on release day to New York because I've got a really cool and big, exciting show there the next day. Mm-hmm. I want to be there a day early so I could. I like to like now post COVID, things are a bit more spaced out, and yeah. I like to go and be in the communities I'm about to play for hang out with some people, go listen to some music, go work with some locals, whatever it may be, yep. and really like get a feel. I think if you get a feel for the city, you do a better show. You get it. You know, you, it's like you've got to become one with the, the sort of culture and climate around there.
1: What, what city for you do you think, uh, and let's, let's take Australian cities out of this, what city around the world gets you the most do you think that you were like, hey, this is awesome?
0: Oh, man, they've all got their little quirks. Yeah, like nev- the I've never seen someone out.
1: watch your show with their arms crossed, so let's put that to, to one side. No one's ever bored. <laughs> but, but, but. Like, I, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like I don't like staying in the one place. Like um, I think it, it, things get very stale very quickly. I, I don't like habits. Mm. I think habits are a bit of a vice, to be honest, mm-hmm. unless you've orchestrated that habit yourself rather than fell into it. Yeah. Um, I like to shake things up a lot, um, I just did a trip and I went to Berlin and I was on an amazing vibe and then I went to Holland and I was in The Hague and I've been and in um, all, all different places down in London working with friends and moving between places often, like say I get a train or I get a plane, I'll like capture what I just felt and what I thought and, and what was going on in a song on the way to the next town and then I'll work with someone there, we'll jam on something and then separately isolated I'll sort of hone in on everything I'm thinking and feeling on the way to the next place. And I sort of move around like that. So it's not necessarily about the one particular town. It's about constantly shifting between them.
1: Yeah, and habits are a bad thing. Um, and take note to everyone listening to this on the bus on the way home from their job that they hate. <laughs> time, time to shake things up, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, really. I was and there. No, I was there yeah, with you. I was on that bus every day. You've got to get out. Get out now. And see wh- the resignation tomorrow. <laughs> wait, till the bu- wait, till the,
1: wait till the bus stops and then get out. Uh, community service announcement. No, but this album, mate, it's mega. I, I got a little advanced uh, internet copy that I've been uh, not not um, not doing anything illegal with. Just listening over and over at home. It's it's. Oh good, mate. I love obviously the DMA's track. The Messing me up song is just huge. Is it with Evan Gia? Am Thank I you. saying that correct?
0: That's correct, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then now my little mate Lucy is on uh bad piano. I know Lucy really well. Oh, That's a
0: cracking song. Mate, Lucy Lucy is like kind <laughs> of like my sister. Like she grew up down the road from me. Yeah. And I like and we became friends and she she'd like annoyingly call me at five thirty in the morning, like, hey mate, you up? like just yelling or she'd like rock up at my door, like, let's go to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'd be you know. And that, um, yeah, that song is really, really special. I'm so glad she could be a part of the album because she's such a big part of my life and such an awesome person.
1: Yeah, mate, well, you should be very proud of the album. It's so great. As I said, it's out sep- uh, September 16, Anomaly. Um, I've just looked at your very busy schedule. You're all over the place. But then I noticed you're back in Australia for something called the Ice Cream Factory Summer Festival. I, what, what is
0: that? Yes, Oh, it's, it's pretty wild. It's, it's over in Perth and, um, it's like, it's like this real experience festival yeah. and then they have music as part of it as well, but it's like more like a circus fair slash (laughs) festival kind of all in one. And it's great.
1: Well, mate, um, we can't wait to see you back in Australia. Congrats again on the album. Thanks so much for all your time. And what we do, uh, we do finish the podcast because it's called Introducing. I know you probably have too many answers to this question, but is there anyone you're listening to at the moment or any artists you'd like to introduce us to?
0: Oh, for sure. Just, yeah. um, okay, so I'm going to rattle them up real quick. Yeah, go. So we've got to... okay. okay, there's two two Dutch guys, Amanu and Bunshin, yeah. making – Insane productions, uh, drum and bass, house music, whatever it may be. Absolutely insane. Um, there's a girl from Melbourne called Dane. She's doing hyper pop and doing some killer, killer songs. She's got this new one called Boy Slut, I think is the name of it, or, yeah. or something like that. Just go check it. Massive smash pop hit. Uh, take Genesis, who's also on the album. He's actually from Wollongong. Uh, crazy Nero basses, drum and bass, halftime, drum step, all of it. Amazing. Um, Lucille Croft, who I work with on my project, she's absolutely amazing, doing some killer stuff. She, she just got on the front cover of her favourite magazine off the rails with this insane shoot that I sort of saw from front to back and can't believe. Um, incredible music too. Yeah, so those are those are probably my pick for some locals and some abroad. I knew you'd have an answer. Uh, mate,
1: it's, it's such a pleasure to meet you properly and uh, thanks so much for spending the time and again congrats on the album, you must be wrapped.
0: Yeah, I, I really am Tim, like I put everything into this one and I actually had the time to step away from it and subjectively listen to it. And, you know, often you put out music and then you're like, Oh, I wish I changed this. I wish I changed that. I got to do all of that because of COVID. So for me, this is practically a perfect record. I think it's better than anything I've ever done. I'm so, I'm so proud of it. I'm so happy in it and, and, and so confident in like the execution of it. Like I, I just can't wait for the world to hear it. Let-